Welcome to the Peak Performing Team, a podcast for business leaders that want to cultivate more innovation, productivity, and well-being on their teams, especially in the middle of chaotic times. This podcast features advice on getting the right people started right, fostering inclusive teamwork, preventing burnout, and so much more. So now, let's join best-selling author, organizational health, and teamwork strategist, Faith Clark, for this episode of The Peak Performing Team. Wow, wow, I am so excited that you're going to get to hear this conversation that I had with Anuradha Kauta. Anuradha is a, a catalyst, an educator, a business liberation strategist who works with small businesses and organizations to liberate their essence so that they can meet these uncertain times with resilience and courage. Anuradha's journey working across both public and private sectors created an awareness of systemic issues like hierarchy and exploitation. And they found ways to address these systemic issues at the root. The thread that runs through Anuradha's work is the illumination and liberation of individuals and small teams from the indoctrination and the cookie-cutter thinking that comes from capitalism and colonialism. So that these individuals and entities can provide the bold, innovative solutions that are truly rooted in justice to clients. We had a fantastic conversation. It was, you have to pay attention because we kind of just hit the ground running with a reflection on humanity and our core humanity and the wisdom that comes when we honor this humanity. And then Anurada went straight into the core message that equity and inclusion is impossible within capitalist and colonialist systems. And, you know, I'd be curious as to what your opinion, what your thoughts are on this. So please send us a message and comment. But Anurada basically feels that these systems are founded in opposing values. So it's impossible, opposing to um, equity and inclusion. So it's impossible to have equity and inclusion without radically re-engineering or collectives or communities that are based on these systems. And rather has a course called Sowing Post-Capitalist Seeds, which is a core, a foundational piece to understanding the threads that run through our communities and our organizations that we, that no longer align with our values and that we need to understand so that we can debunk and re-engineer or maybe just revolutionize or, or destroy or uproot whatever term works for you. So listen, um, grab a notebook, listen to the conversation, reach out, registration for sewing post-capitalist seeds. Information is available in the show notes and Anuradha talks about it towards the end of the episode. There's a discount available to those listening to this podcast. Enjoy. Anuradha, good morning. Well, it's it's morning for me, but probably afternoon for you. Um, I am so grateful that we have met and that we have we have this opportunity to just talk about all the things. Normally on the podcast, I'm talking about teamwork and stuff like that, but but as you know, teams are made of humans, and and so just all of the conversations around how to be human together. I really enjoy, and I know that our conversation is going to be lit. So 
Um, thank you and welcome to the epi this episode. How are you doing? What time is it there, by the way? It's 3.30 in the afternoon. <laughs> Thanks, Faith, for having me. It's, yes, you're, I love what you're saying about that teams are made of humans, so we need to make space for that. It's, that's a total thing, right? As in, if we were teams of robots, then I would understand, you know, maybe understanding code or whatever, but I think we've missed so much of the, how do we help ourselves be our best selves and then work together in our best way. Like we know a ton of stuff from psychology or whatever, and then we just haven't applied it. So anyway, let's, let's see how we can add some of our, I don't know, ancient wisdom, the wisdom that we have from ourselves and from all of what we've taken into to this conversation. So I'm curious though, what, what do you do on this whole, I, I know you as a diversity, inclusion, equity, accessibility, guru, but like where in there do you land? What do you do? Why? Thank you. Yes. Um, I do a lot of things. I wear a lot of hats. That's just part of the work, right? Um, so I kind of cheekily say in my bio everywhere that um, parent, partner, human, you know, um, I guess the official title I'm using these days is business liberation strategist, where we're trying to get the, the kind of core of who your business is out in the world. And I think the thing that ties all the work that I do in the world together, the thread, is that indoctrination from capitalism and colonialism has wound us into a place where we're all kind of cookie cutter kind of the ways we show up. And if that if that's how we're showing up is an individual in um, uh, in a business or in, a, in our community, then we're missing so much of the richness. And so we can't actually give, um, we can't really give solutions that are bold, that are innovative. We cannot give, um, we cannot give anything that is like rooted in justice because capitalism and colonialism don't care about justice. They care about profit and expense and the bottom line and hierarchy and maintaining these structures. So the thread that work runs through my work, whether that's been teaching, whether that's been a researcher or an editor, I've done so many jobs, but the thing that ties my work together is this thread of, I want to challenge the, the kind of cookie cutter thinking that comes from capitalism and colonialism. So it's like we're moving from, you want to liberate us from this kind of robotic kind of following the mold um, business. So you're using fighting words. <laughs> Tell me more. What, what's, what have you noticed that, um, how have you seen capitalism and colonialism um, framing us into these kind of molds that where we lose ourselves? What, what have you seen? Well, actually, I want to start outside of the, I want to start outside of the business community first. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I'm seeing, like in Britain, for instance, where is where I, um, I wasn't born here. I'm from the U.S. and um, I live here now. My partner's British, English, and, you know, Britain colonized India. So it's like a thing. It's a, it's a, there's a thread that, that, to me, all these things are connected. They're not, you know, disseparate. And when we think about a, a recent study in the UK, for instance, that 30% of the, 
or 30 to 40 percent of Britain, so people from Britain, believing that the colonial project was a good idea. Like that was a good thing to free the heathens or whatever that the kind of jargon that they might use. And we can kind of then look at how do we run the education system. Now, when I first moved here, I was doing supply teaching, which is in the US, you might use the term substitute teaching, same thing. And we're not talking about colonialism. We're not talking about empire. We're not talking about the exploitation that built the wealth in this country. We live, I live in Greenwich, um, the borough of Greenwich in London. So where did the bulk of the wealth come from here? From the slave trade, from from the exploitation of, you know, I've looked at a lot of the exploitation of what happened in India in colonization. You know, that's my interest area, obviously, for, for personal reasons, but I've seen it no matter what person I'm listening to or what I'm looking at, it's the same structures in place. And so how does that mean? It means so, so that's a public thing. And as a teacher, I'm concerned about these things. What are we talking about? But then when we bring that same thinking to the business, we can look at, hey, are you using a flag in your marketing? And what do people actually feel when they see a flag? Because for me, and I see an English flag or a British flag or an American flag, it's not nationalism and pride. Now, that's the way we were meant to be indoctrinated. We grew up, I grew up in the U.S. where we would say the Pledge of Allegiance every morning and listen to our particular school would play the Whitney Houston version of singing the national anthem. So I would have that every day. So for many years, I bought into that programming. But now when I see it, I feel like it's quite offensive. I actually feel like that is not that dissimilar than the Nazi flag. Because what it stands for and what it has, it it means you don't belong. And we're seeing that increase in who is belonging on the street, right? Like, oh, go home. Somebody said that when we first moved to this area to me. Wow. Go home. And I went back and shouted at the person saying, don't be a racist, basically. And he didn't bug me again because I see I saw him in the neighborhood a couple other times and he was just kind of hiding from me. Um, but that was one time I wasn't with my partner. My partner's white. Yeah. So it's like and, and this kind of thing. So what does that mean for business world? It means who in your team feels welcome. It means who in your client base, who in your community, who's going to have your back whose back do you have, it's going to send so many signals. So just like the whole idea of marketing, branding, sales, all of this is sending signals to our potential client. We can, we're making a lot of, of these, you know, all of this is communicated without words. Most of our, the signals we're sending are not language-based. They're not words. They're not verbal. So here's a, here's a question, or, or as I'm thinking about it, What's been happening now is that so much of this has been unearthed. Like, as you said, we've been part of the programming, right? So I grew up, um, I remember growing up as a Jamaican and although in Jamaica, although I had a fair sense of Jamaican pride, there was so much desire to be aligned with the U.S. And um, I remember when I discovered that Puerto Rico was a part of the US. I was like, why can't Jamaica be a part of the US? And so there's there's always this, it's better than, you know, um, the, the first world, the first world is better than. 
And so as I've now been allowing myself to see things in a different way, then it brings all of the emotions that I didn't have, right? Because when I was thinking that we were less than and um, the first world is better than and so on, it felt okay. I I didn't, I suppressed anything that meant I was less than because if I aligned myself with this, this idea, then I was like them, you know, as we become more aware, it feels really uncomfortable. And I know lots of business owners, lots of coaches, as they've become more aware, then there's this, what do we actually do? How, first of all, how do we even handle how it feels to say, my goodness, me and my ancestors were taken advantage of in in horrible ways and entire systems have been built on that and i don't even know how much i've aligned myself with these systems and it feels horrible so i'm 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 curious about as you as you unearth this with people how are we processing this to be able to make it be sensible? Because we can't just throw out our business structures and we can't just throw out our educational structures, although sometimes I wish we would. So how, how do we process how this feels to be in that, that weird dissonance? This, this thing felt like it was good and yet, no, I don't think it's good, but then, but then I benefited from it too. And, you know, anyway, I, I'm using a lot of words as well. Feel free to go anywhere in that question that you, <laughs> you feel you like. Thank you. Yes, that's such a good question. It is broad, but I think we need to be thinking a little bit broadly. How do, how do we have the implications? Because before we are business owners or working in a company, we probably have an identity that, you know, how we think of ourselves. We're humans first, possibly. I mean, I don't know. I can't speak for everybody in your audience, but there's a part of me that's not a business owner, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the part we want to address and so on first. So this course that my friend Mariah Helms and I created, we created this course called Sowing Post-Capitalist Seeds. And we actually, the first module, the first third of the course, we're looking at what did capitalism, how did, what are the roots of it all? How did these things operate? We have a panel speaking about colonialism and the impact that's having so many generations later. So we have a really amazing diverse panel, um, different people and from different intersections of how colonialism has impacted them and their communities and what are they doing to heal. But then we, we spend some time talking about grief. And yeah. so grief, not in the sense of just crying, it can be rage, it could be, it could be so many feelings, but the feeling of all of that is such an important practice to get yeah. involved in because we can't actually do anything we can't change anything until we have accepted that this is the situation we have all been handed. And it's not an easy, like these things, these structures have been around for so many years, um, you know, generations. So it's not going to be one day that we can like reverse it and rewind it and pretend like it wasn't here. And I use the example of the Colorado River, uh, sorry, not the Colorado River, the Rio Grande River, because I used to live in New Mexico. And that we, we've kind of colonized that river as well. So it used to be a meandering river. Now it's become tamed. We've tamed it through agriculture use and so on. So we can't now go back to a time where that wasn't there because that's not really possible. We have to work with what is now to create something new. 
But part of that process is grieving and accepting. So in communities, how do you recommend people do this, um, be with each other in this grief? And I think, you know, some of it has to be in the acknowledging. So uh, last year uh, with everything with George Floyd and all that um, opening up of the conversations around racism in, in a broader way than they had before, I saw a lot of communities hold public conversations in ways that they hadn't held public conversations before. And while it felt good to have these conversations in these spaces, lots of Black, uh, lots of black people, I remember a friend of mine in a corporate space, feeling shocked. Lots of Black people felt shocked that people would say um, their white friends or other friends that weren't, just didn't understand, would say, I didn't know you felt this way every single day. And so there's this sense of, I am grieving and you are just coming to the party or just coming to the, just coming to the funeral. Like you're just like, wait, it's dead. And I've been grieving for this whole entire time. And yet as communities, when we think about ourselves in businesses, teams are forming. How do we kind of have a continual sense of acknowledgement so that we can actually include each other, you know, accept what is and move ahead. That's an excellent question. I think this is going to vary so much. So I'm going to give a blanket answer of it depends, but then I'll go into some of the nuance here that some, some people are late to the, like you're saying, late to the party, not necessarily aware of this situation and so on. And, um, and this is new information to them. And while that's disappointing, there's people who are able to support those people best. So, you know, if you are just starting this discussion out, I doubt you're going to be on Faith's podcast here. But if you are just coming into the conversation, um, that's awesome. Acknowledge that and don't be taking the labor. Don't be doing all of that around you know, the people who have been doing it, but there are spaces, there are classes, there's so many other things you can be working in that are going to meet you at that newbie place, right? And then there are more kind of advanced spaces like sowing post-capitalist seeds. We're not a racism 101 space. We're expecting people to already have done some of that work before they come in to our space, because we're not just going to talk about racism. We're talking about how all the systems, including patriarchy, including ableism and fat phobia, we're going to bring in how all yeah. of these work together right. to create the system we're in right now. Right. So there, I feel like there's a range and then there's so many other places to have that discussion. But one thing I did see that really bothered me is the kind of performative gestures, the, you know, um, and, and this was not just me as a DEI person, but so many DEI uh, consultants that I've talked to or I'm in community with, they were, their inboxes were full. Everyone wanted to jump in and do this, you know, and putting up the black squares on Instagram and all of these situations, you know, all of this kind of popped up. And then how many people are, are, willing to keep doing the work later because we heard the during the summer when the when the actual uh, conversation was taking off in this public way 
that the support was pretty high. But by the fall, the support had waned and there was plenty of studies that showed that. So are we, so here with any of these things, with the disability stuff, that's been on my heart quite a bit, the pandemic, that why did it take so many people to have now able-bodied people seeing what it's like to have the possibility of disability or getting COVID or, you know, whatever. And now we can make everything accessible. That was hard when I'm watching, you know, basically genocide against people with chronic health and pain and, you know, disability for years and no accommodations are being made in any way, shape or form. And now we can do now all of a sudden we can do them, you know, so that was really hard for me to witness. Um, So I guess what I'm saying is, it's, it's easy to do the performative thing. But the more difficult piece is, are you going to be in it for the long run? Yeah, I think in terms of communities and businesses, part of what business leaders have to keep being aware of is that this is a continuous process. It's a continuous process in terms of the long haul, but it's also a continuous process of people becoming more and more aware. And there are people in the organization who aren't very aware. So what's the what's the strategy for helping build that awareness? And then there are people in the organization who are more aware and for whom initial awareness strategies might be um, might be traumatizing. It's like this is April now, Autism Awareness Month. I, I you know, I keep my head down. I, it's, it's just too much. I, I'm Autism Awareness 24 seven, you know? So it's, but I know that Autism Awareness Month is not for me. So I just look away. And I think that every entity, every, every organization needs to have those equivalents where people get their aha and other people get supported at the level that they're at. Because then how do we work together? You know, How do we integrate into a, a, a new us, a new we, a new post-colonial, post-patriarchy, post-capitalist you know, world? So your work uh, has this thread of accessibility. And I know that that's tied to your own story. What does accessibility mean? And what does that mean for you personally? That's a great question. It's, I feel like accessibility is not necessarily the end game, right? The, it's, it's a tool that helps us get there. It's a strategy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a strategy. That's right. Accessibility is one of the strategies in our that are possibly av- available to us as business owners, right? Or in in the business community. That so then when we can have closed captioning or or um, or transcripts or what have you, those are awesome pieces. However, that's not the end result. The end result is to be really clear on who it is you're inviting and make sure they remove the barriers as much as possible to make them a part of the community. Because I hear people's goal often is, I want to make everyone feel welcome and so on. And I think, hey, that's beautiful. That's a really lovely thought. And in practicality, it's actually not even close to possible right? because- the three, you know, in our household, three of us have three different access needs and they actually, some of them conflict with each other. Right. 
Right. You no. Know? And so what are we supposed to do? We can't, so we can't design like that. We have to say who's in the room, who wants to be in the room and so on. So accessibility is one of these tools. Um, education, as we've just talked about on, you know, illuminating the, the kind of the kind of indoctrination that comes, that's another piece, you know, so there's, there's going to be many tools at our fingertips to do that. And like you said, just that bringing that awareness is a big step and it can hurt people. Like you said, the, uh, the excess, you know, the uh, autism awareness month, that's a big one, right. Or here, black history, you know, black British history month or what have you. It's the same. It brings up so many places of, oh, you're just now tuning into the conversation. So other people might need to have other needs around that, right? So we need to be taking care of ourselves or taking care of those members of our team. Um, and I think that points to this idea that um, a friend of mine, also a DEI practitioner, says that we have to care for the different people in different ways. So um, the support in, in the space that she was in where uh, the accessibility was around the thriving of the Black cohort staff, um, then their support was different from the awareness work that was needed for the white or other members of the community. And I think when we think about accessibility, it has to be, like you're saying, really specific to who are we inviting? And then is that support is that awareness? Is are those are there tools? Because it might vary. And yet at the end of the day, I think that when we provide support for one person, another person might be able to see it and take from it and benefit from it. I actually have noticed, and special ed is what kind of brought this home to me. What we do in the special ed space that's effective is probably effective for all students. And when we figure out how to support a particular person well, we're human and the human, the human being is complex. I might, oh my goodness, that high touch, highly sensory sensitive approach that we're using with a kid with autism actually shuts down the fire in my brain and helps me be able to feel calmer. That's amazing. And it allows, it it's almost like we get to know each other and get to know ourselves better and gives us access to a wider range of tools to be, you know, together with. So you have a conference, you have an experience. I don't know if it's a conference, you can correct me, coming up called The Future is Accessible. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. I love what you're sharing there, that um, in supporting the access needs, we help so many other people. So when we think of wheelchair accessibility, we're not just helping people with wheelchairs. We're also, the ramp is going to help people who have luggage, who have strollers or baby carriages with canes and have a limp or, you know, whatever. It's just, it opens the pathway for many other people. Right. Same. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, go ahead. Now I was saying, and for choice, for people, as we have our needs to then choose around a wide array of access paths. Oh, I could walk up the ramp. I could push the stroller up the ramp. I could go in the elevator. It kind of builds the autonomy. And this lack of accessibility has cut down our ability to be autonomous, self-directed agents, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Agency is such a big piece of that, that we decide. And often when we're talking about disability, and, and certainly with all of these, right, there, there's an analog with racism, there's an analog with other aspects of this too, that 
we, we, as in, I would say the community at large, so basically an able-bodied community then is making choices and telling a disabled person how to be in the world. And that is not, that is not access. That is coercion. That is, you know, you thinking, you know, what's better for someone else when that's not perhaps what they, they know what they need. Let, let them do the talking on that. And you know, I, I did, I saw this even as, as a teacher, right, that I would have so many students with IEP, so individual ed education plans where they needed specific support. And then there's a fraction of students who, which in my situation was maybe a further third of my students would have access needs that didn't qualify for the same services. So I would just integrate it as part of my curriculum, right? And so this could be speed of how you talk about things. It could be so many things. I just want you to think that, and, and, and also looking at the disability community, they know what they need. So listen to them basically. Yeah. And then for this accessibility, uh, the future is accessible. I don't know what I'm calling it. It's a week long learning experience. So I basically gonna have some live conversations and you're going to be speaking, so I'm excited to have you there. And a number of pre-recorded sessions that will be kind of as bonuses that people can attend any or all of the sessions. And basically, I want to talk about accessibility from so many different perspectives that most people are just not aware of. So when we're talking about um, when we're talking about things like parenting. Right. So in this pandemic, we are seeing that women and gender minorities have been the ones bearing the brunt of care work, which has always been the case. Right. But they are the people then losing their jobs. And this is trend that I've seen statistics for here in the UK, in the US and in Australia. So it's a big thing. So who is losing their jobs? Who's having to do this care work and and be you know, not compensated for this? And so it's a big deal. So how can we actually, some of our customers, some of our team members might have children, might have care work responsibilities. I mean, when we think about COVID, it might be caretaking for elderly or it might be, you know, it could be so many things. So the caretaking work is an angle that we're not thinking of. How do we make our work accessible for them? Yeah. We're gonna have somebody, Tiana Dodson talking about fat liberation and so how do we make space for bigger bodies for and this is not just about a fat person in your life but this is for everybody because when a body a human we have a body that's, that's part of living but right. when we think of toilets standard size toilets not being accessible to fat people yeah. They actually feel uncomfortable sitting on those toilets and they're likely to break. And I know several people who are like in this situation, they can't replace their toilet or their, their toilet seat because it keeps breaking and that's the standard size. So it's, you know, and yet we yeah. have the engineering capacity to make it so yeah. it's everybody. So yeah. these are just two practical things that we're going to be discussing, but I am hoping with everybody else speaking, it's going to be just so many other wonderful things. And I'm personally gonna be sharing about some frameworks that we can take into this because in Donala Meadows, she's written some resources on leverage points. Mm -hmm. And so she's written some articles and some books on this work. And 
she's according to her work that the top leverage point that like the most so she's kind of ranked them in terms of what thing we can do that has that's the least effective change versus the more effective changes so right. at the top of the list is building a new building that takes so much money it takes so many resources we have to plan we have to get permission we have to do all of this right and so many people have to get involved to build a building yeah but the bottom the most the, the leverage point with the most um with the most effective strategy is paradigm shifting yeah so what happens if we go into an organization and we talk about gender and we actually say no we are now going to be embracing this and we can understand there is there's this gender binary doesn't serve most people except maybe trans people who want that gender binary to be accepted for them but right that a lot of people are non-binary and and so on or how we classify masculinity and femininity is mm -hmm. damaging hurting yeah yep. it's hurting people so if we embrace that as a paradigm shifting place what would be the difference so i'm going to be talking about that how what are strategies we can do to embrace this not just in a stra strategic kind of you know at the superficial level but how can we bring this in at the deepest level of our core you know, core of who we are in our business. Yeah, because strategy serves, serves paradigms. Like once you know what what's who, who are we going to be, then we come up with strategies to make that happen, then processes and, you know, structures to, to serve that. But yeah, absolutely. We could talk for hours, but I'm, I'm going to rein it in. I really love the continued awareness that anything that's normed becomes a way to say um, you don't belong, you know, the size of the bed, the size of the top. Because I have I know a couple of big guys and they're like this little single bed. Come on. It's like I, 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 I don't I don't fit my height, my, you know, and this I don't fit. You can see it as a good thing if that was part of your social structure. But often it's a, I don't fit and not belonging is so fundamental to so many both social struggles and disease patterns and all the things I, I could, I could go on. But so it's, I think it's really important that we all ask ourselves the question, what's normal here and who doesn't this fit? Like what's, what's this, who, who is actually conforming to this or, and what, what's the cost of the conforming to them? Simple things like being a morning person, whatever that is. I, I'm not, so I don't know if there are morning people. But um, what's who doesn't fit this idea that work starts at eight? And what's the cost of that? To uh, I I when I was breastfeeding, my kid was up every ninety minutes for the breast. What's the cost of me being up at work at eight if I'm up every ninety minutes all through the night? <laughs> and so, um, so much there. Thank you so much. So if you uh, were to be if there's a business owner who is curious about anything because we kind of did the speed dating highlight reel on so many ide ideas um what's what's a way that they could be in touch with you and what could you how could you support someone who wants to get more clarity on any of this accessibility um building a post-colonial organization how could you how could you support someone yeah that's a great question the I do want to say to your breastfeeding 90 minute comment, I do want to say 
when I was in employment as a teacher, I found it so difficult because my disability is kind of hidden and so on. So, so many of the things I look fine to most people, right? So, but the effect impact of having to go to work every day and then not basically not having any energy for anything else because that's the way my disability works. Yeah. So then it's fine as long as you're producing under a capitalist system, but just to rest. And I would just come home exhausted and so couldn't do anything else that brought me joy. That's not that's not the system that's we want living. to build. Yeah, that's not exactly. And so there's obviously structural changes we need to make as a whole, but in our organization, there are things, there's leverage points we can be pulling on. And yeah. so if if there's a question that you've been asking, like a one-off question, hey, is this a sales page? You know, is my website, you know, accessible? Does this offer sound like it's sound? You know, I get questions like that. Should I use the term people of color or black indigenous people of color? Or here in the UK, we use uh, BAME, which is black, Asian, minority, ethnic, you know, like I get questions like this in my inbox all the time. If you have a quick question, which I'm going to unpack for you that it probably won't be so quick, but 60 minute session would be a great place to dip your toe in and get some answers and kind of get clarity on one aspect, right? We can't solve everything in one hour. If, right. if you're interested, the, the sowing post-capitalist seeds is a great kind of all rounder. And that's not just focused to business owners, but if you sign up with um, faith, you know, you, I'm going to give a special link that I'm going to give you an hour of my time. If you book at the $600, if you book at the highest level for our fall course on sowing post-capitalist seeds, I'm going to give you a 60 minute hour of, you know, an hour of my time to bring it home, close to home in your organization. And that Sowing Post-Capitalist Seeds is a 14-week class where we really dive into lots of aspects, including money, including body, including ways you can navigate it. Because what I, what I strongly feel is instead of this cookie cutter approach and that everywhere does everything the same way and this organization does the same thing as this organization, or here in England, we do the same as I grew up in Arizona. No, we have different resources. We have different people. We have different needs. Right. So it's got to be a personalized solution. So that's what we encourage. And that's what we talk about in the course. So those are two kinds of ways you might be able to work with people, you know. And that, I that really, way. yeah, there's this, I think your, your course, Sowing Post-Capitalist Seeds, is really about this paradigm shift. And so as I'm thinking about it, both as a business owner, as an educator, as, I mean, I homeschooled for 14 years, there's so much that's invisible, but permeating through every conversation we have with everyone, both clients, you know, team member, and so on. And so really unearthing the paradigm that we have and making some deliberate decisions about holding a new paradigm feels urgent to this revolution that is a must for the the future that we want to create so thank you so much i'm you we have in the show notes information about the sowing post capsulist seeds and we'll talk about it a bit more because i think it's really important that every organizational structure become aware of what is embedded in the water and what we want to be healing from Anuradha, thank you so much. This this has been beautiful and powerful and we probably should take all of the notes from the transcript and build out a whole series on all the topics we've touched on. 
Um, but anybody looking to be in touch with Anuradha, all the information in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time. And everyone, thanks for joining the episode. We'll talk again soon. This has been another episode of the Peak Performing Team, where we help business leaders cultivate more innovation, productivity, and well-being on their teams. If you liked today's episode, please share it with someone and write a review on iTunes. If you're curious about how this would work with your team, go to faithclark.com, schedule a quick team performance audit, and get customized team strategies and solutions.